If you got a Bible, we're going to look at Proverbs 22.6. <clears throat> we'll get to it in just a moment. It's going to be on the screen for us to read together. Mother's Day 2023. Happy Mother's Day, moms. Um, but today I'm not going to preach a sermon about mothers. Um, and, I'm, and on Father's Day, I'm not going to preach a sermon about fathers. I'm probably going to continue what we're going to talk about today. And it's really uh, on parenting. Um, it's parent-child commissioning. Um, and so, we really want to talk about parenting today. Um, I can't think of anything more appropriate than to see if the Bible has some parenting wisdom for us. Um, something I'm learning, um, and some of you parents who've been doing it longer than Jennifer and I can tell us, and you have told us, parenting never ends. Um, this will go on until we pass to go be with the Lord and we need some instruction from the Lord that's full of hope for every stage of the parenting journey. Some stages are going to be harder than others due to many factors. And it's likely going to be different for each one of us. So we want to share some wisdom from the Proverbs with you today that's sober-minded. I want to warn you, this is very sober-minded. This is not going to be phyllo dough with some peaches baked in it. It's going to be a little meaty and a little weightier. It's very sober-minded because sober-minded things have a tendency to set up for the long haul. And if parenting never ends, then we need to be prepared for the long haul. Speaking about the Proverbs, Ray Ortland Jr. says something really beautiful about the Proverbs. He said, God does not intend to crush us with layer <coughs> upon layer of demand. He intends to help us. The book of Proverbs is practical help from God for weak people like us stumbling through daily life. It is His counsel for the perplexed, His strength for the defeated, His warning to the proud, His mercy for the broken. The Proverbs, the book of Proverbs is the gospel. It's good news for the inept through the wisdom of another. We have every reason to believe we should receive it with a whole heart. That's good news. That's fantastic news. But I want to ask this question because probably some of you have asked this question. Some of you, not some of you younger parents, but some of you older parents and some of us uh, in the throes. Do the Proverbs, though, do they make promises that are not trustworthy? Some of you, we've talked about some of these things together, and I've, other parents have, have chatted with us before, have held on to these Bibles, proverbial statements, this proverbial wisdom. Sometimes it feels like they've done so in vain because the results don't seem to come. Or at least have certainly been a long time in coming, and hope feels like it's waning. And you begin to wonder... Did God just trick me? Did he mean that? I provided a link here. I hope you'll go read the full article. It's kind of helpful on this issue. And I want to summarize the article before we read Proverbs 22, 6 together and, and, and draw some, some wisdom and some hope. Proverbs is a book that seems to promise some good things for the people of the Lord. 
It's full of them. Proverbs 3, 1 to 12 is full of these beautiful things that when we seek wisdom, God does amazing things for us. Personally, I, and just my own personal Bible reading and Bible study, I don't think I've done an adequate job of making sense of the Proverbs instructions and, and what I look for when reading them and what looks like promises that are attached to instructions. So how do we understand these promises in, in light of some of our experiences that don't look like the promised outcome? Some people will tell you it's because you don't have enough faith. Is that really it? Are the Proverbs just probabilities and not promises? To say the Proverbs are probabilities is not untrue. And to say that they're promises is also not untrue. To some extent, they are promised probabilities as we walk in obedience to the Lord in His way as we overcome the kingdom of darkness. In this walk, we are indeed opposed by fools and foolish actions of those who are entrapped by the dark kingdom's lies and jukes. Those who obey the Lord sometimes reap the full fruit of that obedience in this life or sooner or later. It's probable that we may see amazing good from following the wise counsel of the Proverbs very quickly and very immediately. But what about the times when we exercise God's wisdom to the T and the results don't pan out according to the good promise? What about those times? Did God fail? Does God tell the truth? Did I mess something up? We probably all ask these questions, haven't we? It's very real, very sober-minded, and I hope you feel that. There, there are a couple possibilities I want to share with you, and there could be more, but I'm just going to give you two. And, and truthfully, these are writing this, I'm preaching to myself. The first possibility, like when things seem delayed, what's God doing? What's God up to? What could be that the Lord is disciplining me for my good? It could be the Lord's disciplining me for my good. Proverbs 3, 11 to 12 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. And commenting and preaching from that passage, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 12, 3, 3 to 8 says this, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary or reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the Father doesn't discipline? And if you are left without discipline in which all have participated, you are illegitimate children and not sons. Discipline is a sign we are loved. And we belong to the Lord, not the opposite. Isn't that great? It's, it's evidence that we belong to the Lord. So we could be delayed in receiving the fruit of wise living as the Lord's training various levels of sin out of us that could involve some manner of suffering. In the Lord's discipline of us, we have to be careful about complaining. 
Listen to C.S. Lewis in The Problem of Pain when he says, when we complain of our sufferings, we're not asking more of love but less. Wow. Say that again. When we complain of our sufferings, we're not asking for more love but less. God conforms his children, listen to this, God conforms his children to the obligation of the promise so we can experience the blessing of the promise. Wow. That's in the notes for you. You're gonna have to go and read that in several times. Understand very clearly, when God disciplines us, it's not to pay for sin. That was done at the cross. All sin, past, present, future, has been paid for at the cross. Jesus came and he lived the perfect sinless life, the eternal son of God, creator of all things, and he died in our place for our sin, and he was buried on the third day. He rose and he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he presented his own blood as a sacrifice offering for sin so that those who believe in him get all of his righteousness, and he takes all of our sin. But in that beautiful good news, this gospel, we also know that we're still left with a body of flesh that likes to sin. And Philippians 1.6 tells us that he who began a good work in you by saving you and counting you righteous is gonna complete it in the day of Christ, which means he's gonna root sin out of my flesh. And that's how I know I'm a son or a daughter. So make no mistake, God disciplining isn't me paying for my sin. That's already been paid for. It's God treating me like a son and ensuring that I get to the end. So it could be that the Lord wants to make me more righteous. But what about the times when it's not for discipline? There's no, nothing you can point out to. You know, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I've confessed that. I'm, I'm walking away from that. And there's nothing you can point to that the Lord is rooting out. The second possibility is that God perhaps chooses some people to an even higher form of blessing than these promises. A type of blessing that can only come through suffering. It's the blessing of God's deeper presence. This is what the prosperity lie gets so wrong. It assumes the blessed life is a pain-free life. Well, that negates Jesus. But what if there's a deeper, higher blessing? What if this blessing, as the apostle understood it, 2 Corinthians 4, 7, is, is that this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So either one, we get the fruit of obeying wisdom. Or the Lord trains sin out of us to make us holy and then gives us the fruit of our actions. Or the Lord has greater glories at some point. So we set our eyes of faith on the Lord's promise of only good. That surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That's what you said, Lord. And I will dwell in your house forever. So this is our backdrop. This is our backdrop. I told you it was sober-minded. Well, this is our backdrop. Let's look at Proverbs 22, 6. I'm gonna have you stand again. It's, the blood's not gonna settle. You're gonna stay awake. We're gonna read Proverbs 22, 6. Really short. Here we go. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Old Testament scholar, nerd dude, Robert Alter translates it, train up a lad in the way he should go and when he grows old, he will still not swerve from it. 
my literal translation of it, because like I told you, my useless degree, I do those things. Dedicate a child in the way according to him, and when he is old, he will not put it away from him. What instruction can we gather for our parenting journeys together from Proverbs 22.6? First one is this. We have a command, and that command is to train. So we have instruction. We know what to do. When you get lost in this journey, there's a command. Train. Train them. The parenting command is to train. This word can be translated also as dedicate. Train is a command, and it means we have a task to do while our little ones are receptive. I want you to note this and understand this. There's going to come a time when they're not receptive. There's going to come a time when they're not receptive, and you're going to have to set boundaries on acceptable and non-acceptable things. That's why you begin training them early. So your most effective days of training are when your children are young. Translators prefer train over dedicate because dedicate comes off as too passive. And the force of the word is an imperative. It's a command. And train carries with it a very real sense of an action of something that needs to be done. The sense of the word is very active and requires action. And we'll speak to that on the next point. But this training is to begin when they're children while they're teachable. You're going to get to a place where your efforts to train will ricochet off the iron forehead of a teenager. And you're going to need others to come alongside you and affirm what you're saying, that you're not just a fool. And so you start them young. Chris Hayes said this, and I think I I loved it. I I quoted him um, a few weeks ago. We were talking. I don't even remember the context. We were recording a podcast, and he made this statement, and I typed it down and said, this is going to be in the Mother's Day sermon. Chris said, I'm pretty sure that after manual labor and having to wear clothes, parenting teenagers was the next biggest result of the fall. (laughs) Yes. You begin training in utero. Training is not after they're born. Training begins in utero. What you listen to, the language you speak, the voices heard, the environment you create, all affect the child from conception to birth. Example, Gabriel Jolly has been to more third-day concerts in utero than outside. So after that kid was born and he would scream, we could throw on the hardest of hard third-day songs. I'm talking before they softened up. Conspiracy 5. Some of y'all are like, whoa. You could throw on a Conspiracy 5 album, and this kid, rather than being amped, he's out. Because third day reminded him of being in that place that was good and right before the light of the world jacked it up for him. So you begin in utero, and you continue training. And you train, and you continue to train. And that training has to evolve through the, through the years to contain different things for various circumstances and it's all going to be different based on your kids and who you are and where you are in life but the training has to go on it gets very passive at some points where you have to allow consequences to take their course there's going to come a time and place where you can't make things happen you can only trust you do the very best you can and you act all that you can and have to trust the lord but you begin early so that's the command. The next thing we glean from Proverbs 22, 6 is we have an object for the command. We have an object for the command, and that object is to go in the way of the Lord. So the command is to train. Well, what are we to train them? 
We're to train them to go in the way of the Lord. In other words, the command is not just any old set of commands. Just pick some commands and teach them. There are plenty of wise commands for life that are necessary for survival, and you need to teach those, right? But Proverbs 22.6 is talking about the ultimate objective we're commanded to train. The object of this command is indicated by the preposition in, which points us to the destination of our training, and that is the way that he or she should go. This means the training is specific for a desired outcome. Tracking? There has been a considerable amount of debate on the translation uh, of this little phrase and its exact meaning. Is it literal? Is it the literal translation or the sense of what the author is getting at? I'm going to give you both options and tell you what I think. The first option is the literal. And the literal is quite straight out of the language into English, the way according to him. Train up a child in the way according to him. If this is the case, each child needs a different training based on something unique in the child. This might be more vocational in nature. Their wiring, what are they made for? Find out what that is and train them in that. That's possible. Option two is the way I I tend to lean, and it's the author's sense. What is the author getting at? And thus, it's usually translated the way he should go. Given that the Proverbs are not getting specific about individual children or men or women and their potential vocation, but teaches a general sense of the wise application of God's law, it stands to reason that the way according to him is the way they should go. And the way each child should go is the way of the Lord's word where there's life. Listen to how the Lord said this to Solomon in 1 Kings 6, 11 to 14. Now the word of the Lord came to Solomon. Concerning this house that you're building, if you will walk in my statutes and obey my rules and keep my commandments and walk in them, then I will establish my word with you. This is the way that we're to train them to walk. The way the Lord is training Solomon to walk. Keep my word, obey my word, and I will establish my word with you. I believe the Proverbs intent here is that we're to train children to know the Lord and the way of his kingdom. Thus Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things then will be added to you. But what training will achieve this? What training is going to achieve this? Just three quick options, then we'll come to the last observation and a few applications. What training might Proverbs 22, 6 have in mind? The first one I think he has in mind that we can see there from the passage in 1 Kings chapter 6 is this, train your children the content of the Bible. So I give you those Jesus Storybook Bibles. If you're an adult and don't have one of those, get one. They're worth having. You will see the meta-narrative of the gospel so beautifully clearly in all the stories that they choose to use to put that little Bible together. Teach your children the content of the Bible that they're not just disconnected stories that are moral lessons, but they're gospel pointers to the good news of who Jesus is as the eternal creator son of God who came to die in their place for their sin. You're going to get that from the garden all the way to Revelation. And it's a good training tool. So teach them the content of the Bible. Number two, set patterns and habits that keep you in the life, rhythms, and atmosphere of the local church, the people of God. Build your life and your rhythms and your patterns and atmosphere around the local church. This is a very important statement when you hear this. A generation that does not prioritize this will produce a generation that will abandon it. A generation that does not prioritize this will produce a generation that will abandon it. 
when folks buck the idea of habits spiritual habits is somehow anti-Holy Spirit. Well, I don't want to read my Bible every day because I'm afraid it'll become habitual and your habits just becomes rote. Next time somebody says something dumb like that, tell them to stop breathing until the Holy Spirit moves. See how nonsense that is? That's just goofy. When you set patterns and rhythms and habits that are built on the rhythms of the kingdom of God, you build, that's, that's the essence of discipleship. It's not just mere content, it's content applied in the rhythms of life in the kingdom of God. And then you will find something amazing. You'll find that Holy Spirit spontaneity grows in that garden of discipline. But you gotta set those patterns. That's, that's what we have in mind in our training. And third, this means battling to be present in the life and rhythms of the local church and considering of everybody around you and in your life at all times. You gotta battle to be present, it's difficult. And being considerate of everybody and being aware of everybody, all the one another's of the New Testament that other people matter. This is because the law, we wanna teach them the wise application of God's law, the law is summarized in the Bible as loving God and loving our neighbor as ourself. And we wanna teach that. Third observation, Proverbs 22, 6, then some applications, then we're done. We have a hope for our labor of training. There's a hope here. There's a deep hope. And that is that children will walk in the way. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. The hope of our labor as parents is our children will stay on the way they've been trained in. That's our hope. That's the great hope, that they will stay on the way they've been trained in. As you raise your children, parents, live transparently. Be authentic. Apologize quickly. Be proud. Be authentic before and with your spouse, your children, with your local church. Repent sin quickly strive to pray in faith that the Lord can and will cause the training to take root and bear fruit don't give up praying pray when it's all working as it should those are the moments where we have a tendency to lull and stop being vigilant as watchmen and watchwomen on the wall don't stop praying when it's going as it should pray by all means when it seems to be in shambles Luke 18, one day, he taught them this parable that they should always pray and not lose heart. Verse 8, and when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Because faith prays. Luke 15, 11 to 32, the prodigal son, pray. I heard a wise older parent say this about three weeks ago, and I don't know the person's name. I was actually hearing them speak at an event. And this stuck in my craw and I can't get it out of my head. It was helpful. Don't judge your parenting until your kids are 35 years old. Give time for the germination of God's word, the work of the Holy Spirit, and faith that prays without giving up. On the hard days, remember Psalm 84, 11. It's my second favorite Bible verse. First one is Genesis 50, 20. What they meant for evil, God meant it for good. Then Psalm 84, 11 is the Lord God is a sun and shield. 
the Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. In Christ you're upright, therefore he will withhold nothing good from you. If it's good for you, he'll give it. If it's not good, he'll withhold it. What a precious gift and promise that is. So on the hard days, remember Psalm 84, 11. If it were good, he would give it. If not, he's going to withhold it. Hold on to that. That's how we're going to apply this. Five quick applications and we're done. Y'all are like, man, when this, I wish this life and teaching series would end so he'll preach this short every Sunday. And some of y'all are going, that short? No, you should have been here last week. <laughs> applications, number one. Believe parenting is a call to live in obedient faith. Parents this morning, believe that parenting is a call to live in obedient faith. Obey the Lord as best you can and trust the Lord for his good outcomes. Trust in the Lord does not look like passively doing nothing. It means doing all that you know is right to do and then trying to rest in that. Second, accept that parenting is a call to suffer sometimes. You have to accept that parenting is a call to suffer sometimes, and it will be okay because we know the Lord will only do us good. Third, remember parenting is a call to surrender ultimate outcomes to the Lord. I'm going to tell you the most desperate place to be is when your effort has no outcome. You're going to run on those days. You're going to drop them off somewhere where you're supposed to drop them off and all is right. And you're going to have to leave them. And they're going to cry. <laughs> and they're going to say things to you like, oh God, please don't do this to me. And you're like, it's pals, man. <laughs> you have to surrender ultimate control to the Lord. It's going to be okay. Fourth, believe parenting. Y'all don't know what PALS is. Some of y'all have been down that road. And you know PALS. You participate in play and learn school at Trinity United Methodist Church. Four, believe parenting is a call to wrestle against the unseen forces arrayed against us. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. God, that's hard to remember. That's so hard to remember. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Fifth, finally, no parenting is a call to master receiving the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's a call to master receiving the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to do anything to earn the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's a free gift. But you've got to master receiving it. Because your flesh is going to fight against that. In fact, a little bit before the fruit of the Spirit, we learn about what the fruit of the flesh is and their opposites. And that leftover sin that the Lord has to root out of us is opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. So, you, like, you know, self-control, the opposite of that is I can't control myself. I'm just a victim of my desires. No. No, no, no. You're the image of God. You have the Holy Spirit. Control yourself. That's free gift available. That's powerful, by the way. When you catch on to that and realize you have that available to you, that's powerful. But you got to exercise it when you receive it. It's just there for you. You got to pick it up. Master receiving through the Holy Spirit. Parents, I know this is sober minded, but when you guys started having these sweet little babies, you kind of maybe had in mind, like I did, that you're going to get to this age and it's, you know, boom, the boot and it's over. No, that's a lie. That is a lie. 
That one came smelling like the pit, man. You're going to be doing this till you crawl in the grave. So we need to be sober-minded about it and be prepared for the long haul. Because in that, we can, we can set a pace that will help us stay faithful to the end. So let's pray. And let's ask the Lord to do something with this word. And then let's worship the Lord in song. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you would take your word, make it a lamp for our feet and light for our path. Help us to hide it deep in our hearts that we might not sin against you. We pray you'd take your word and produce the fruit of the kingdom with your word. Let you do work in hearts, minds, these moms and dads all over the room, new ones, those been doing it a long time, those of us somewhere about halfway, we pray that you just, Lord, help us. Help our kids stay faithful, stay the course, and not quit on Jesus or any of that kind of stuff. Pray again for these precious new, new ones, these little ones. Oh, Lord, speak to their hearts. Even begin to, your regenerative work and every word from the scriptures that are spoken into their ears and every rhythm that is set and every pattern that's set for the kingdom. Do your work of regeneration and bring them to faith. Lord, as we come to worship, we pray you receive our worship. May it be pleasing to you. May it be a sacrifice of praise to you. Jesus, Lord.